President Trump makes a very big announcement about the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Hillary Clinton won't leave. And the biggest news of the day, a failed person who failed at everything is coming back for more. And no, I'm not talking about Hillary Clinton. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, that, that tease was too good, so I'm just going to fulfill it right off the bat. Later in the show, I'm going to rip J.J. Abrams up and down, because apparently he's coming back for Star Wars Episode Nine. It will be called The Death Star, Reincarnation. Everyone is very excited about it, by which I mean no one is excited about it. Um, best, best joke that I saw today was it will be called Star Wars Episode Nine: Revenge of the Lens Flare, which will be very amusing. But there's actual news to get to, many pieces of actual news to get to, and we'll discuss all of those pieces of actual news one by one in their entirety. But first... I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at ZipRecruiter. So, are you hiring? Would you like to hire people better than I have? You need to use ZipRecruiter, okay? That's the way that you get the best employees. You can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. And that is why ZipRecruiter is different. It doesn't depend on candidates finding you. you it finds them for you. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within one day. Okay, find out now why ZipRecruiter is used by businesses of all sizes. We use it here at Daily Wire as well. Go to ZipRecruiter for free and you can try it out. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Again, one more time, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. You can try it out for free, list a job for free, and you will start getting responses pretty much immediately. I mean, it's a huge crowd of people who are going to be looking for a job and you are going to be giving it to them and getting the best possible employees. So go and check out ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Okay, so the big news that was just announced this morning was President Trump in his spin to the left has decided that it is no longer important that border wall funding be tied to the, to the implementation of President Obama's executive amnesty. Now, I'm old enough to remember when every single rally was filled with two specific chants, really three, right? It was lock her up with regard to Hillary Clinton. She has not been locked up. Then there was drain to swamp, drain to swamp. The swamp has not been drained. And finally, there was build the wall, build the wall. And now it's build the DACA, make Jeb Bush great again. Okay, so as I said a couple of days ago, the fact is that DACA, President Obama's executive amnesty, as imposed by a legislature, is basically the dream act that Jeb Bush was pushing for four years and Donald Trump opposed four years. Well, now it is being announced that President Trump, the, the initial idea was that Trump was going to trade legalization of the so-called dreamers for the wall, right? But President Obama's executive amnesty, for those who don't remember, it said that everybody who's between the ages of 16 and 31 had been in the country since 2007 and come over as a child and didn't have a criminal record. Those people could all stay indefinitely. They would never be deported. They would have basically work permits. That's what DACA was. And then Trump came along and he said, we can't do this you know, from the executive branch. Let's do it instead from the legislature, which is not what he had promised. And Coulter, hardest hit. Finally, Trump says the legislature should do it. But the idea was, OK, his big deal was going to be his clever, clever deal. You know, the art of the deal, the, the magical art of the deal, the MAGA, 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 3D underwater chess was going to be that he was going to trade legalization of these dreamers who had already essentially been legalized for Tawal. Okay, today, The Hill, quote, White House Legislative Affairs Director Mark Short told reporters on Tuesday President Trump would not demand that border wall funding is tied to a legislative replacement for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Short said, we're interested in getting border security, and the president has made the commitment to the American people that a barrier is important to that security. Whether or not that is part of a DACA equation or another legislative vehicle, I don't want to bind us into a construct that would make the conclusion on DACA impossible. In other words, Trump wants DACA. Okay, it wasn't a trade. It wasn't a clever 3D underwater, upside down, Jedi, hungry, hungry hippos. Okay, all of this was just he wanted to make DACA great again. Okay, MACA. He wanted to make DACA great again. Uh, so it just if you are a Trump supporter who thinks that he desperately wants the wall, I do have to ask you at this point, are you certain? Do you think it's going to happen anytime in the near future? Because I promise you, the Democrats don't want to do that. The Democrats are perfectly happy. His new friends, the Democrats, they're perfectly happy to sit on the sidelines and sink DACA. Right? They're happy to sink President Obama's executive amnesty. They don't care because what they want to say is they want to say, listen, we wouldn't trade anything for that. We shouldn't have to have a wall. We shouldn't have to have anything. It's such a high priority that we shouldn't have to give away one dime. We shouldn't have to do anything Trump wants because he says he cares about the dreamers. We say we care about the dreamers. No deal. And Trump, instead of pushing back on that and saying, listen, 
I'm happy to make room for the so-called dreamers, but we have to secure the southern border. Instead of pushing back, he's basically going, okay, sounds great. Why? Well, it has something to do with the fact that the president of the United States really likes the media coverage he has been receiving over the past week. In the last week, we have seen piece after piece, one from the New York Times, Trump, the independent president. This man is independent. Look at him, how independent he is. Ooh. And Trump really likes that stuff because it makes him feel powerful and strong. Okay, I, I'm happy to attribute all of this to strategery, but I need to see the strategery. And then Trump's guy says, the president is not backing off a border wall. No, no. The president is committed to sticking by the commitment that a physical structure is needed. Whether that is part of a DACA package or another package, I won't prejudge that today, but he's going to get that wall built. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Okay. As Ann Coulter puts it, we are now eight months in, zero miles of the wall have been built. Oh, happy, happy day. Okay, so with all of that said, this does bring up a question. And that question is, how long is Trump's swivel to the center going to last? How long is it going to last? And why is it a problem? So a lot of people have been saying Trump is an independent president. It's something new. We've never seen this before. This is incorrect. Okay, if you just want to talk about a president who broke with his party on a routine basis, we have had many presidents who have broken with their parties on a routine basis. Bill Clinton did it with Republicans. Uh, Richard Nixon did it with Republicans. Dwight Eisenhower actually did it with Republicans. It's, it's pretty routine, actually, for Republican presidents to move against their own party. What is not routine and where there is a difference is that Republican base is willing, the Republican base is willing to go along with Trump on all of this. The Republican base is willing to follow Trump on all of this, right? They're willing to, to say, okay, well, we used to care about the wall. We used to chant build the wall. We used to chant lock her up. We used to chant drain the swamp. But as long as Trump wants it, we are happy to give it to him. We are so happy to give it to him. And this does give Trump the capacity to move to the left on a permanent basis if he wishes to. But there is one thing that is going to stop him from moving in any real significant way to the left on a long-term basis. Uh, well, it's really two things. One is his own tendencies to, to knee-jerk backlash, and the other is Democrats hate the guy. Okay, their unifying factor is they must stop him from doing things. If Democrats are animated by opposition to Trump, that means the only way Trump can work with them is complete surrender. And that's what we've seen over the last week. Trump so desperately wants the good headline, he so desperately wants to quote-unquote get something done, that he's willing to work with Democrats. Again, if you're a Republican, if you're a conservative, if you're a Trumpster who doesn't like the establishment, you need to ask yourself, why don't I like the establishment? If you don't like the establishment because the establishment was making deals with Democrats, you don't get to complain now when, Trump, when the establishment tries to prevent Trump from making deals with Democrats. Okay, this is nonsensical. But again, the thing for Trump is that Trump thrives on opposition. And this, herein lies the problem for conservatives. Because if conservatives try to stand between Trump and his goal, working with Democrats, guess who's going to become the target? It's going to be conservatives. So to point out how opposition-minded Trump is, yesterday was 9-11, and Trump gave what I thought was quite a good speech on the 9-11 the uh, anniversary. And here is what he had to say about, about terrorists. American forces are relentlessly pursuing and destroying the enemies, all civilized people ensuring, and these are horrible, horrible enemies, enemies like we've never seen before. But we're ensuring that they never again have a safe haven to launch attacks against our country. We are making plain to these savage killers that there is no dark corner beyond our reach, no sanctuary beyond our grasp, and nowhere to hide anywhere on this very large earth. <laughs> okay, so it's a, this is all great stuff. I do like when he describes the earth as very large. Uh, that, that is amusing to me. But the, the point is, is not what he says here. The point is what he says next. Okay, Trump always has to op operate in an oppositional universe. So Trump actually said, he started ripping his own advisors in the middle of the 9-11 speech, basically. Here's what Trump had to say. The way President uh, Trump talked today about the enemy was very important to me, so important to me and so refreshing to me that I uh, sort of knuckled my into the rope line so I could thank him for simply saying mm -hmm. that our loved ones were murdered that day. That is the first time I heard a president since 9-11 use the term murder. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I felt it was really important to say to thank him for that. And he actually said something interesting to me. He said, "My people yeah. didn't want me to use that word." And it's Deborah Berlin game, uh, who lost her brother on 9/11. Uh, and when when Trump says things like, "My advisors didn't want me to say murdered," 
the point here is is not really a profound one. It is just that Trump operates in an oppositional universe. And that's what made him so popular in 2016, because everyone hated Hillary Clinton. We'll get to Hillary Clinton in a little while. Her new book, What Happened, is out today. And the answer is actually the bottom of the book, right? It says, what happened, Hillary Clinton. Okay, that's exactly what happened. Okay, that is the thing that happened. Hillary Clinton was a garbage candidate who lost because she was a garbage candidate. I think it's worth noting that President Trump won fewer votes in Wisconsin than Mitt Romney did in 2012, and he won the state. He won fewer votes than George W. Bush did in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan in 2004, right? Bush lost those states in 2004. Trump won them. That means Hillary was a garbage candidate. But what Trump did better than anyone else is he's a very oppositional guy. And so his opposition to Hillary Clinton resulted in a win for people who opposed Hillary Clinton. Well, Trump operates the same way on everything. So when it talks about his advisors, his advisors didn't want him to say murdered. And so he said murdered. A good way of getting Trump to do what you want is by actually opposing what you want him to do, right? If you actually oppose him, then he pushes, then it's, it use reverse psychology, basically. You say that you oppose all these things, and then Trump pushes back against you because Trump is oppositional in nature. That's not a good thing for Republicans and conservatives who are looking at what he's doing right now and saying, this is not good that you're making deals with Democrats. It's also not good for Democrats long term, though. Because the fact is that Democrats are also animated by this opposition. The idea that he's going to have some sort of long-lasting deal with Democrats is not true because, again, he is an oppositional creature. The Democrats oppose him in the end because they hate him and they want him out. And that means that they will oppose him on key issues, and then he'll be forced back into opposition. So I don't think this is going to last for any significant amount of time. Here, here's an example of this. So. In the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma, the media have decided that it is vitally important to point out that they are opposed to Trump. Now, this should be a unifying moment, right? Trump's actually done a pretty good job handling Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma. But the media are so opposed to Trump that they cannot even give him credit for that. Right? Democrats are so opposed to Trump that they have to, they have to rip him up and down. That's why I don't think this alliance is going to last very long. I think Trump will try to make it last, but I don't think it's going to last very long unless Trump is so driven by the headline that he decides to surrender across the board. The media, for example, Jim Acosta yesterday at the White House, he's asking questions about climate change, and here's what he has to, here's what he has to say. He finds an excuse to rip Trump for what has been a pretty good disaster response. This administration uh, saw a connection between climate change and homeland security, and that the frequency and intensity of powerful storms like uh, Harvey and Irma could pose a problem for future administrations. Uh, you could have uh, FEMA budgets uh, that uh, can't keep up with the demand when you have powerful storms hitting uh, the country. Is that something that you think this administration should take a look at? We know the uh, president pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, are these storms giving uh, this administration some pause when it comes to the issue of climate change and homeland security. And they hate and Trump so much that these are the sorts of questions that they ask in the middle of a hurricane is why is Trump so anti-climate change? Why doesn't he just get, why doesn't he just follow the, the democratic consensus and do something about climate change, right? Joy Behar does the same thing on The View. Democrats are animated by their own animus. They are animated by their own hatred for Trump. And this is what's going to prevent Trump from making a deal with them in any long-term way. Here's Joy Behar, who is sort of the id of the Democratic Party. The heat is creating warm waters in the oceans, in the Gulf, wherever, and that is co uh, co contributing to the intensity of uh, storms like Irma. Why this is the worst storm we've ever seen, etc., has to do with uh, climate change. And people yeah. who deny that, they should start naming all of these next hurricanes after Hurricane Limbaugh, yeah. Hurricane Pruitt, <laughs> yeah. Hurricane Palin. You know, you know, we do Hurricane have to. I think it's very important that Joy Behar lecture us on science. I mean, clearly, clearly, she has in many ways conquered science and, and, and somehow made it onto TV. In any case, this demonstrates the, the sort of hatred that she has. By the way, the National Oceanic Atmospheric and Atmospheric Institute Association, uh, the, the government agency, uh, they have said that it's, you can't link any specific hurricane to climate change specifically. In fact, we had uh, a very quiet period before this year in terms of hurricanes. The point here, again, is that the Democrats hate Trump so much they're not going to make deals with him. They're just not going to make deals with him. And Trump will react to that by not wanting to make deals with them. So I think he's going to ping pong back and forth. I think that's what's going to happen. His administration is basically going to be Trump reacting to whoever hit him last. Democrats right now are being very nice to him. There will come a time when they're not so nice to him. And when that happens, he will ping pong back to the Republican side of the aisle. Then Republicans won't be able to get anything done. And then he'll ping pong right back to the Democrats. He is not forming a ruling coalition here. Okay, He's not forming a new philosophy and a new ideology. Anyone who thinks he is should watch the last six months where he seems to be sort of picking and choosing from the tree of issues. 
varying wildly across what he says and to whom he says it. So uh, I, I would not uh, I would not really uh, put a lot of stock in the idea that Trump is making some sort of permanent change in terms of his political orientation that looks like a third way. Okay, this isn't a Clintonian third way or an Exonian third way. Trump is a man of instinct, and he operates off that instinct, which is good news on the one hand for conservatives because it means that he's likely to bounce away from Democrats at some point in the future, but it's bad news for conservatives right now because it means that he's bouncing off Republicans right now to work with the Democrats. Okay, I want to talk about Hillary Clinton and her giant fail of a 2016 campaign. She just will not let it go. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at MVMT Watches. Okay, it's Movement Watches, and they were founded on the belief that awesome style should not break the bank. So I love my MVMT watch. It is this watch. It was not an expensive watch. It is, it is a very nice watch. It's incredibly durable. Uh, I wear it every day. Uh, it is excellent. You can see me wearing it during my congressional testimony. I really love my MVMT watch. They have tons of, of, of different styles. All of them are clean. Uh, all of them are simple. Uh, and they all look very classy. They're, they're such great watches, actually, that I went on my own dime and bought my wife a watch uh, for her birthday, and she really loves it. She's a doctor, she works with it, and she gets all sorts of compliments at the hospital on it all of the time. Uh, it's really a terrific watch. Movement watches start at 95 bucks at a department store. You're looking at a $400, $500 watch. They figured out that by selling online, they can cut out the retail middleman. Classic design, quality construction, styled minimalism. Over a million watches sold in over 160, uh, 160 countries. Right now, if you go to mvmt.com slash Shapiro, again, that's mvmt.com slash Shapiro, you get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns. Again, clean design, inexpensive prices, mvmt.com slash Shapiro, you get 15% off today, uh, which is awesome since the watches aren't expensive to begin with. So you get yourself a, a really nice watch that's going to last the test of time. So it's, it's pretty great. Okay. So uh, you can see that, uh, you know, I think what, what's the first step? toward pushing Trump back toward Republican and conservative positions. The first step is going to be triumphalism. In the same way that Trump reacts to people who are staffed around him, if they get too much publicity, he gets mad at them. I think that you're going to see him start to do this with Democrats too. So Representative John Yarmuth is a Democrat. He's out there cheering Schumer and Pelosi and basically saying that Trump is a sucker. The more the Democrats chortle over Trump being a sucker, the more he is likely to bounce back toward being a Republican. Again, Trump is an oppositional figure. He bounces off of things, okay? He does, he's, not, uh, he's not silly putty. He doesn't stick to a particular position. He's a rubber ball who just bounces off of whatever provides him pressure. So here's Congressman John Yarmuth from 3rd District in Kentucky. There, there's no uh, question whatsoever in your mind that uh, Chuck and Nancy won that negotiation, correct? Oh, totally won it. Totally won it. And believe me, they, they on um, Friday morning, or Thursday morning, it was Thursday morning, I guess, they, um, they looked like victorious warriors when, we, when they appeared before our caucus. <laughs> and, what, what did they tell you? Well, they, they both uh, just really relished recounting the, the, uh, the scene in the, in the Oval Office. Okay, so he, he, he went on to explain that they said basically that they, they screwed Trump, that they, they won the debate. The more Trump hears that sort of stuff, the more he's likely to react badly to Democrats. But Democrats have to say it, right? If he listens to me, he's going to react badly to me. Hey, Trump is like my three-year-old in this way, okay? You react bad, or really he's more like my one-and-a-half-year-old who screams very loudly, and then if you say no, he screams even louder. Okay, that's sort of what Trump does. So if I say, Trump, you got screwed by Schumer and Pelosi, Trump reacts that by saying that I'm the mean one, and therefore he's fine with Schumer and Pelosi. If Schumer and Pelosi make the big mistake of saying that they're the ones who screwed Trump over, then uh, Trump is going to react badly to them. So we're, uh, so you know, we'll see how all of this plays out, but before everybody panics and says that Trump is permanently in the Democratic camp, I just want to point that out. Okay, other things that are in the news today. Hillary Clinton uh, is making her rounds on her book tour. What happened? Hillary Clinton is out today. She still cannot get over her loss because the loss was a referendum on her personally. The loss was a referendum on Hillary Clinton personally. No one liked Hillary Clinton. I got the election wrong in terms of the result, but I did get this right. I said throughout the election that this election was not going to be a referendum on Trump. It was going to be a referendum on Hillary Clinton. That Trump was stuck between 40 and 43 percent, and Hillary was bouncing around between 39 and 50 because people couldn't decide whether they hated her or whether they were quasi-lukewarm on her. And in the end, it turns out that they hated her. Well, Hillary cannot accept that answer, and so she continues to trot out various explanations for why she lost. So today, she did an interview with USA Today, and she said there was a communication, and there certainly was an understanding of some sort between the Russians and the Trump campaign. She says, there's no doubt in my mind Putin wanted me to lose and wanted Trump to win. 
And there's no doubt in my mind that a tangle of financial relationships between Trump and his operation with Russian money. And there's no doubt in my mind that Trump campaign and other associates have worked really hard to hide their connections with the Russians. Okay, again, does she have any evidence of any of this? No, this is all a conspiracy theory until she can provide evidence of any of this. But she says, I'm convinced of it. She says, I'm ha I happen to believe in the rule of law and believe in evidence, so I'm not going to go off and make all kinds of outrageous claims. She just did one second ago. Right? She says, but if you look at what we've learned since the election, it's pretty troubling. And then she talked about other people to blame. She blamed James Comey. She said it was Comey's fault that she lost. She says that Comey shivved her. She says his unusual announcement 11 days before the election revealing her new trove of emails ended up screwing her in the three upper Midwest states. She said, my first instinct was that my campaign should hit back hard and explain to the public that Comey had badly overstepped his bounds. My team raised concerns with that kind of confrontational approach. In the end, we decided it would be better to let it go and try to move on. Looking back, that was a mistake. Again, Hillary blaming her aides, not blaming herself. This is the problem for Hillary Clinton. It's the problem for the Democratic Party. They cannot look internally and say to themselves, what did we do to alienate all these people? So instead, what they're doing is they're doing more of the same. So the big news for Democrats today in the last few days has been their continuous and, and constant focus on Medicare for all. Okay, this is their new pitch, right? It's Bernie Sanders' old pitch, this Medicare for all pitch, this idea that we are going to supplement Obamacare with a scheme whereby everyone is covered by Medicare because Medicare is great, yay. There are only a few problems with this. One, there's very little evidence that shows that Medicare has actually improved health outcomes for people. The reason for that is because most doctors are now rejecting new Medicare patients. The reimbursement rates are not high enough for doctors to take new Medicare patients. Also, Medicare is already $58 trillion in unfunded liabilities and debt. $58 trillion. If you're talking about expanding Medicare for all, making you know me eligible for Medicare, not based on age, not based on health, not based on income, then what you're really talking about is adding $14 trillion to the national debt in the next 10 years alone, which means that it'll end up being double or triple that over the next 20, because that's how every government, every government program always works. But now this has been embraced right across the board, because Democrats can't accept. The reason they lost is not because they didn't offer people enough free stuff. Hillary offered lots of free stuff. The reason they lost is not because they didn't run Bernie Sanders, okay? Bernie Sanders offered people a lot of free stuff. The reason they lost is because they have contempt for the American people. Democrats have contempt for the American people, particularly white people living in Midwestern states. They think these people are rubes, they think these people are fools, and they think these people ought to be on the losing end of American politics. That's why they lost in 2016. They ran the most corrupt Herodin in American history, and she lost. And she lost because she called half the country deplorables. And then they're surprised that happened, and they doubled down on all of these things. They're still calling Trump supporters deplorables. They're still suggesting that Trump supporters are a group of people who are universally white supremacist. Ta-Nehisi Coates has a piece in The Atlantic in which he discusses Trump's election. What does he attribute Trump's election to? He says that Trump's election was not attributable to Hillary Clinton. It was instead attributable to racism. That's right. It wasn't. It was all about Trump's racism. It was about his signaling to his white base that he was going to wipe away the achievements of Obama. All right. Now, I said during the election cycle that I thought that Trump did not do enough to distinguish himself from the alt-right, that he was sort of covertly and, and in some ways overtly pandering to the alt-right because he thought they were an important part of his base. But he was not doing that in opposition to Obama. He was doing that in opposition to the intersectional left of which Ta-Nehisi Coates is a part. The people who say that identity is inextricably intertwined with politics, that white people are part of a white privileged society, keeping black people and Hispanic people down. That's what people were reacting to. Not Obama. Obama remains the most popular politician in America. Michelle Obama is right now leading primary polls among Democrats. So the idea that, you know, that, that it's, it's really about backlash to Obama, that's what all this was. That's not true. It's backlash to intersectionality. But Democrats have to find something other than themselves to blame. Because if they looked in the mirror, then they would actually have to examine what they've done wrong here. And they've done some things pretty wrong, including insulting the American people on a regular basis. Okay, so before I go any further, and I have some pretty amazing stuff I like and stuff I hate today, first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at LendingTree. So right now, you're looking for a mortgage. You want to buy a house, but you don't know where to get one. You just go to your friend. Your friend says, oh, you know where I got my mortgage at blank. Right? Well, the fact is that blank is not going to give you as good a mortgage as LendingTree. LendingTree, their customers on average save $20,000 over the life of their loan. You go to LendingTree, you put in all the information about the property. It takes it like three minutes. And then you'll start getting competitive bids right in front of you. 
explaining what sort of mortgages are available. It's like shopping for flights online, except you're shopping for the best mortgage rates available. If you're not sure you have the best deal, you should go to LendingTree.com slash Ben. That's LendingTree.com slash Ben and check it out right now. This is not something you want to mess around with. I mean, mortgages are an enormous amount of money, and it doesn't matter to you right now that it's $20,000 more or less on the mortgage. It'll matter in terms of what you're paying on a monthly basis, particularly over the life of the loan. Right now, there's, by the way, there's a good chance that your bank is already on LendingTree's network of over 400 lenders. Why not compare and make sure that you're getting the best deal? Right now, LendingTree.com slash Ben. Go over and try it out today. LendingTree LLC, NMLS number 1136. Terms and conditions do apply. Make sure you're getting the best mortgage deal. And again, use that slash Ben so that they know that we sent you. Okay, so the, because the Democrats can't accept that they lost, they continue to trot out Hillary Clinton as some sort of tragic figure. And some of it's really funny. So according to USA Today, there are poignant moments in her book, particularly as she describes trying to get through the first days and weeks after the election. The suit she had chosen to wear for her victory speech, white, the color of the suffragettes, stayed in the garment bag. You remember when she wore the white suit at the convention. For the concession speech the next morning, she wore a gray and purple suit she had planned to wear on her first trip to Washington as president-elect. Purple, the color combination of red and blue, was designed as a subtle tip to bipartisanship. <laughs> okay, I still do get a kick out of the fact that she's not the president. You know, and whatever I think of Trump uh, and, and how he is behaving lately and how he is legislating, I am very happy she's not president. She says, on inauguration day, watching a rival she had warned was a threat to the nation being sworn into the job she assumed would be hers, she focused as she walked down the west front of the Capitol on breathing. In, out, scream later, she told herself. I'm sure she did, and I'm sure she hurled a few lamps and such. So, just amazing. She says, what makes me such a lightning rod for fury? I'm really asking. I'm at a loss. Well, that you're super corrupt, and that you are super rehearsed, and that you are incredibly partisan, and that you think half the country is filled with terrible people. That, I think, is probably the problem for Hillary Clinton. And when she's speaking with Democrats, she basically admits as much. So she was on uh, the, the Pod Save America podcast earlier today, and here's what she said. Okay, she was asked about Putin and the association with Trump. Apparently in the book she says, quote, Trump doesn't just like Putin, he wants to be like Putin. Put down dissenters, repress minorities. He dreams of Moscow on the Potomac. And she writes this in her book, Moscow on the Potomac. That's what Trump is dreaming of, which is a wild exaggeration. Okay, everyone keeps saying Trump is a fascist. Trump hasn't gotten anything done or imprisoned anyone. Legitimately, the biggest problem with Trump right now is that nothing is happening. And then he's caving to Democrats. So it's hard to claim that he's a fascist when at the same time he's cutting deals with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. But here's what Clinton said. She said, yes, I'm really happy to say that to the three of you because you have influence and you have reach. Look, I wrote this book to try and come to grips with what happened, but also to sound the alarm about what I think could still and may well happen. I think Trump, left to his own devices unchecked, would become even more authoritarian than he has tried to be. Also, remember the right wing aided and funded by Mercers, Koch brothers, etc., is very serious about calling a constitutional convention. Okay, the Koch brothers, by the way, are libertarians. They need 34 states. Last I checked, they were at 28 or 29. This would be the convention of states pushed by people like Mark Levin to check the power of the federal government. But she doesn't understand that the convention of states has nothing to do with Trump. The convention of states was moving long before Trump. There are a lot of people who support a convention of states, like me, who are not advocates for the president, particularly when he does things that are wrong. She says, part of their gerrymandering is to control state legislatures, elect Republican governors, call a constitutional convention. If you get really deep into what they are advocating, limits on the First Amendment, no limits on the Second Amendment, limits on criminal justice. I mean, there's a very insidious right-wing agenda. Limits on the First Amendment? Who's talking about limiting the First Amendment? It's the Democratic Party, Hillary Clinton, who has talked about things like hate crimes laws, hate speech laws, things like, let's make sure that if you are an LLC, you can't spend money on politics. She says, when I say that he doesn't just like Putin, he wants to be like Putin, I'm not saying he's going to start killing journalists, but I am saying he likes the idea of unaccountable, unchecked power. Okay, Hillary Clinton saying this, people who like the idea of unaccountable, unchecked power, yeah, Hillary, we all know why you lost. And this, again, is why everyone thinks that 2020 is going to be a referendum on Trump. We'll find out. It depends on who they nominate. Okay, everyone talks about Trump being low in the opinion polls. Bottom line is, really, really depends on who the Democrats nominate. And if they think that they can run the same campaign they ran in 2016 and just add single-payer health care, they are desperately mistaken. Democrats have a serious problem in 2020. They don't want to admit it. They have a serious problem. They're still using Obama's coalition and Hillary's strategy, and they're combining it with Bernie's pie-in-the-sky economics. And they have to, because in the primaries, if you say you're not for single-payer, then the Democratic primary vote is too far to the left and they'll throw you out. But when you get into a general, try to tell people their health care is going to be completely taken away from them and see how that goes. 
It's the only way Democrats, I mean, honestly, Democrats are so bad at this. All they truly have to do right now on healthcare is just shut up, watch it collapse and blame Trump. That's really all they have to do. And instead, what they're doing is they're going out there with a single payer plan that allows them to look like the ones who want to change healthcare. The rule about healthcare is whoever changes it gets punished politically. This is why Republicans didn't end up changing it. Right? Democrats are trying to change it again, but towards single payer, which demonstrates, by the way, that they were liars all, all along. Democrats are really terrible at, at this. Thank God. Thank God. Okay, so right now, I have a lot of things I like and things I hate I want to discuss. But for all of that, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and become a subscriber. For $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription over at dailywire.com. Dot com. You can get my show live, you can get Andrew Clavin's show live, you can get Michael Moles' show live. Plus, we're doing something very cool. Tuesday, September 19th, if I survive Berkeley, at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, subscribe. And we are going to be doing a, a Facebook live chat. We're going to be doing a, a chat where, we, where your comments, your questions are answered directly. It will only be available to subscribers. We'll do the first few minutes on Facebook, but then we'll be doing the rest for subscribers only. Use the Daily Wire chat, the comment box that appears on the side of the podcast on the Daily Wire site. Subscribe, ask questions there. We will be reading them live. The Q&A will last for an hour. We will answer all of your questions as they come in. So we're doing that Facebook Live with all of your questions being answered. We'll be doing more and more things for our subscribers over at Daily Wire. So subscribe now for $9.99 a month. Or if you do the annual subscription, you get this the very finest in all beverage wear, the leftist tears hot or cold mug. I will be using it for protection during my speech. Uh, if somebody should throw something at me, I will use this as my defense mechanism. I'll just hold it up, and it has its own force field. It's a very magical piece of hardware. So go and check that out um, and uh, get the annual subscription for $99 a year. Or if you just want to listen later, please go over to YouTube. Please subscribe. That really helps us. Or go over to iTunes or SoundCloud. Subscribe there and leave us a review on iTunes. That always helps with our ranking. We are the largest and fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. <laughs> Alrighty, so I want to do some things that I like and some things that I hate now. Uh, and uh, this will be a very culture-oriented things I like and things I hate. So things I like, uh, I have been watching lots of children's movies lately because I have a three-and-a-half-year-old. Uh, and two of the movies that she's been watching lately, one, one is Bambi and the other is Pinocchio. So Pinocchio is the best Disney movie. Okay, it's it's I actually don't think it's particularly close. I think the early Disney movies are actually much better than the later Disney movies. Um, the animation is actually better. And, you know, leave aside Pixar, but the animation is beautiful. It's really they they because they did it frame by frame. They use some really cool techniques uh, where they would actually paint a piece of glass for the background, then they paint a second piece of glass for perspective, and then they would shoot through the glass in order to get that background. So they'll have these moving long tracking shots in Bambi where you have three layers of forest and they're shooting through three pieces of glass in order to generate that. It's really a, a neat technique. Um, and, uh, and the animation is beautiful. The music is really great. And there's something else, which is that these movies are really morally sophisticated. I mean, these movies have, have a lot more darkness to them than the modern movies. And you think Aladdin is dark? Aladdin is nothing. Aladdin, Aladdin is cartoonishly dark. Pinocchio is actually dark. Okay, Pinocchio is a very dark film. Um, so here is some of the preview for Pinocchio, the greatest of all Disney films. Ladies and gentlemen, the master showman, that's me, Baldo. And by special permission of the management, is presenting to you the one and only Pinocchio. I got no strings, no major. When Walt Disney gave you his first full-length feature, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs became a nation's friends. You made Dopey the star of his day. Hi-ho, your favorite song. And now Walt Disney brings you his first and only full-length feature since Snow White. Which one of this grand new group of characters will be your favorite? Will it be mischievous little Pinocchio himself? Will it be Geppetto, the kindly old woodcarver? Will it be fluttery, frivolous Cleo, the goldfish? Or will it be roly-poly Figaro? Might be those wily crooks, Jay Worthington Fowl Fellow, and Raggle Taggle Gideon. Or perhaps Stromboli. Okay, so the, the movie is man. actually so one of the things I love about Pinocchio is the entire movie is about why growing up requires growing a conscience. That's what it's about, right? The entire film is about becoming a better person. Unlike most of the new Disney films, which are all about self-fulfillment. It's all about self-fulfillment and love. Okay, Pinocchio is not about any of those things. It's about 
being worthy of love, right? Pinocchio is actually about the idea that you are worthy of being a real boy only when you grow a moral soul, right? Only when you grow a moral conscience. The, the, I, I always like to contrast the lyrics from Frozen with the lyrics from Pinocchio. The lyrics in Pinocchio, uh, is, it says, uh, Jiminy Cricket says this, right? He's pointed Pinocchio's conscience, uh, and Jiminy Cricket says, always let your conscience be your guide, right? Give a little whistle and always let your conscience be your guide. Walk the straight and narrow path, and if you start to slide, give a little whistle, right? And call your conscience. That's the idea. Okay, it's a pretty traditional moral message that's being put forward in Pinocchio. And then you get Frozen, and Frozen literally says in the middle of of um, of the what's the what's the name of the big number, Mathis, in Frozen, and Let It Go. Uh, one of the actual lyrics in Let It Go uh, talks about how morality basically doesn't matter. She says, "No right, no wrong, no rules. I'm free." That's an actual line from Let It Go, right? That all these little girls walk around singing. It's the exact opposite of what they say, right? Now life is about self-fulfillment, being yourself, creating your own moral universe. That's what's great, right? Little Mermaid, which I think is one of the worst Disney films. I mean, the, the, the music's great, but I think it's one of the worst Disney films. And that's because the morality of Little Mermaid is basically she disobeys her father. She's a moron for an hour and a half. And then finally she gets what she wants after making her father into a small monster because she sold a contract to a witch, right? And then she suddenly gets what she wants anyway. She never learns a lesson. There's no point at which she goes, oh, I guess that was a really stupid move. Maybe I should have listened to dad. There's no point at which, at which she learns anything in the course of Little Mermaid, right? Aladdin is a great movie, but it has no moral message. And this has become the thing in, in Disney films. We wouldn't want to lecture people on morality. In Finding Nemo, it's the father who has to learn something, not the kid, right? It's always the, it's always the adult is now learning something in all the new Disney films. Okay, that's because morality in America has changed, and Disney is a great reflection of that. The original Disney films were deeply moral. You watch Pinocchio, you watch Bambi. Bambi is all about the idea that as you grow up, you have to start taking responsibility for others, that life is a bunch of challenges, and if you overcome them, you become a stronger person. That's what Bambi is about. Pinocchio is super dark, and it demonstrates how we raise our children differently than we used to 70 years ago, like in a real way. Okay, Pinocchio has, in the middle of it, Pinocchio being kidnapped, okay, children being turned into donkeys, him being swallowed by a whale, right? You think he's drowned. Okay, all of those things happen. In Bambi, you have the most shocking moment in film history, right? His mother gets shot off screen, right? And you know, all of this happens in children's films, okay? These things would be rated R now, right? The, the children's films now are really innocent. And that's because you know, life and death were a part of normal life for children a lot more in 1942 than they were, than they are today. But I think that that actually made kids have more of a moral sense, this idea that life was meaningful because... There was such a thing as death. There was such a thing as morality. Uh, the morality of Pinocchio is a lot better than the morality of today's films. Also, as I say, it's a beautiful movie to watch. I mean, they, they have the, one of the opening shots, uh, there, there are a couple of shots in it that are just incredible. There's one tracking shot where they go all the way through the town in Pinocchio. Uh, that's just an amazing shot. Uh, again, all of this was drawn frame by frame in that time. So every single frame was being drawn individually, hand-drawn, which is, I mean, that's, it's an amazing, it's basically like having a flip book for an hour and a half. Pretty incredible. Okay, so uh, other things that I like. So I have to give it to Jim Carrey. I love this so much. Jim Carrey was at New York Fashion Week. As you might imagine, I am not a fan of New York Fashion Week, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But Jim Carrey, for some reason, shows up at New York Fashion Week, and, and there's some woman who apparently couldn't afford a complete dress. So she's sort of dressed in, in, in parts of a dress, uh, and she is interviewing Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey gives one of the single greatest interviews I have ever seen in any venue. It's spectacular. Here we go. Yes. What? I've covered a lot of fashion weeks. This is the first time I've run in to Jim Carrey. Wait, tell me, is it true you're wandering the streets? You need a date to the party? What's up? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm doing just fine. Uh, I just, uh, you know, there's no meaning to any of this. So I, uh, I wanted to find the most meaningless thing that I could come to and join. And, uh, and, uh, and here I am. <laughs> so I mean, you got to admit, it's completely meaningless. Well, they say they're celebrating icons inside. Celebrating Do you icons. In icons. Boy, that is just the absolute lowest aiming, you know, possibility that we could come up with it's like icons what do you do you believe in icons i don't believe in personalities i don't believe that you exist but there is a, a wonderful fragrance in the air you don't believe certain icons have the power to make change to think differently to be bold to inspire others artistry you're one of them on the good foot ha! Yeah. <laughs> you shut it down now yeah, no, I, uh, I, I don't believe in icons. Uh, I don't believe in personalities. I believe that peace lies beyond personality, beyond invention and disguise. 
beyond the red S that you wear on your chest that makes bullets bounce off. I believe that it's deeper than that. <laughs> I, I believe we're a field camera. of energy dancing for itself. And uh, <laughs> I don't care. But Jim, you got really <laughs> dressed up for the occasion. You look good. No, Was I didn't that an get accident? dressed up. I didn't get dressed Who up. Who did? There is no me. There's no you. No. We're not here. This is a dream. There's just things happening. And there are clusters of tetrahedrons moving around together. Okay. Okay, it's pretty spectacular. Okay, first of all, I like that he goes full David Hume by the end of this. There's no relationship between cause and effect. Are you sure you really exist? Can science really determine whether you are a person? But the best part of this is when he says this is totally meaningless and I'm here because it's meaningless. Pretty spectacular. So well done, Jim Carrey. Dude's a hero. Uh, not all heroes wear capes. Pretty spectacular. Okay, other things uh, that I like. So this was really funny. Last night during Monday Night Football, there is a, a guy, a sideline reporter, who I guess is new to the business, and he gives what is certainly the single best sideline report in the history of Monday Night Football. Sergio Dip, the aptly named Sergio Dip, here's what he had to say on the sideline at Monday Night Football. It's a pleasure to be with you guys here on the field from up close, just watching Coach Vance Joseph from here. You watch him now on the screen. This diversity in his background is helping him a lot tonight. Quarterback at Colorado, defensive back in the NFL. And here he is, having the time of his life. <laughs> okay, points to that guy. Please put him in the, in the, in the booth. I mean, that, that guy's amazing. Here he is, having the time of his life. I don't know what I'm talking about, but words are coming out of my mouth and they just won't stop. Sergio Depp, greatest announcer. I have ever seen makes Howard Cosell look like nothing, just spectacular, okay? And other sports things that I like, a lot of things I like today because people just decided to go full on stupid yesterday and you gotta enjoy it or you gotta cry. Okay, this actually was pretty great. So Sloan Stevens is the, is the name of the woman who won the US Open. And this is a pretty great exchange. It demonstrates the power of capitalism even when we don't think about it. So here she is, she's asked, you know, Winning the U.S. Open, you always ask dumb questions. It drives my personal trainer nuts. Whenever we're watching sports together and we see these press conferences, he gets so angry at the journalists because they ask questions like, how did it feel to give up that home run? And it's like, how do you think it felt? I just gave up a home run. I felt great. I was totally for So somebody asks Sloane Stevens, how did it, you know, does this make you want to win more majors? And her answer is spectacular. I know this is kind of fresh, but having done this once, does it give you a hunger to win another slam, to do this again, feel this feeling again? Of course, girl. Did you see that check that that lady handed me? <laughs> like, yes. Man, if that doesn't make you want to play tennis, I don't know what will. Man. So, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Again, capitalism operating even when you think it isn't. So pretty awesome. Uh, I do love that. That's pretty great. Okay, uh, time for, uh, you know what? You know, even one more thing I like, because it, I can't say I fully like this story, but it, it, is, it is funny. Okay, I'm not for violence. Okay, violence is not called for. If you have a problem, you should call the police, but this is kind of funny. Okay, there's a Bath musician dubbed Piano Man. He has spoken out after receiving backlash on social media and reportedly being punched in the head. Luke Howard began playing his piano on College Green in Bristol on Saturday, September 9th, saying it was his last throw of the dice to win back his former girlfriend. But after being branded a creep online and realizing his plan had failed, the 34-year-old stopped playing. So this 34-year-old guy who couldn't you know, make a decision about his girlfriend and she broke up with him. He took a piano outside her apartment and just started playing the piano like all through the night. And then at 4 a.m. people got pissed and he was punched in the head. According to the Bristol Post, Luke said he had been punched in the head at around 4 a.m. But added the reason he stopped was he realized he had spectacularly failed in his original aim. The 34-year-old musician rejected suggestions it was a PR stunt and issued an apology to those offended by his plan. So, okay, so a couple of things that I, I hate about this. Number one, you know, everybody's saying, oh, he's stalking her. He's stalking her. First of all, she thinks he's stalking. She can call the cops. Okay, second of all, please, noise pollution people. It drives me nuts when I'm driving around. I have, I have a bad habit, and that is when I'm driving around and somebody next to me has their rap pumped up really loud and it's bothering me in my own car, I roll down my windows and I put on the fourth movement of Beethoven's ninth and I crank it all the way up because that's just the kind of person I am, a complete douchebag. So that's it. So it's, you know, if you're going to pollute the noise at 4 a.m., I'm not going to say it's okay to punch you in the head. I am going to say that somebody should call the cops on you, um, and uh, I'm not going to say that I feel really terrible for you. I, I think it's, it's uncivilized, but I don't feel so bad for you. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. I'll do one thing I hate, and then I'll do a, a quick deconstructing culture. So here is the thing that I hate. J.J. Abrams, man. 
what the F, dude? So he's back. He's now going to be directing Star Wars Episode Nine, a.k.a. Death Star Part 7. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to a new orb that will blow up planets, but we won't call it the Death Star, and we call it, can't call it Star Killer Planet. Instead, we'll have to come... I'm, I'm hoping that it's blue, and then we can call it the Meth Star. Yeah, it'll be like the Death Star, but it'll be the Meth Star. It'll be awesome. Uh, also, J.J. Abrams is one of the most overrated directors of my lifetime. The idea that he is a great director is beyond me. Uh, the only thing, I think he's a better producer, actually, than he is a director. I think he's produced some pretty good films. Um, did he direct 10 Cloverfield Lane? Uh, he produced it. Right. So 10 Cloverfield Lane is a good movie because he produced it, not because he directed it. Lost, he directed the first episode, and then he produced it. The first few seasons of Lost are terrific. He produced, he did not direct. As a director, he is highly derivative. Everything that he does is a ripoff of something else. The, also, he ruined my childhood, okay? Episode episode 7 um, of, of Star Wars is The Force Awakens. It's one of those movies when you first watch it, you're like, all right, okay. And then you think about it, and then you think about it, and then you think about it some more. And then by the time you're done thinking about it, you're ready to go burn down J.J. Abrams' house because he wrecked my childhood. You understand that when Return of the Jedi ends, that Luke has destroyed the Emperor? You understand that it makes no sense for the dark side of the Force to have crept up again and be ruling the universe, okay? You have to explain what happened with the rebellion and how they ruled badly if you're going to explain why there's this new force in the world. Also, why is it, like, why did you turn Luke and Leia, who are one of the best couples in screen history, into a squabbling divorce couple? Han and Leia. Han and Leia, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. Luke and Leia, that, that'll be his, his great revelation in Star Wars Episode Nine. He'll wreck the rest of my childhood, not by killing Luke, or after killing Han. After killing Han in the most pathetic possible way, he won't just do that. He'll wreck my childhood by announcing that Kylo Ren is actually Luke and Leia's son. He'll completely, he'll go full Game of Thrones on me. But it, by kill, like, turning Han into a sad old man who gets murdered by his pathetic son, you know that's going bad. First of all, this beat that people use in movies now that drives me absolutely up a wall is when somebody will say, there's somebody totally evil, and they say, go stop him. Go stop him. No, don't go stop him, you stupid idiot. You're not going to be able to stop him. Everyone knows, like, mm. Okay, so Force Awakens, not good. Then they're going to do Episode 8, which the previews do not look good. And then there's Episode 9, which is going to be J.J. Abrams writing and directing it. And again, he's going to actually create a new creature, a small Jedi called Yoga, uh, who, and, and he will also have, it won't be C-3PO anymore, it'll be C-3GO. Everything that he does will be derivative uh, in some possible way. I mean, even BB-8. Everyone's like, ooh, BB-8. Okay, it's just R2-D2 with a rounded bottom. Okay, it's legitimately what BB-8 is. Ah, J.J. Abrams. Damn it, J.J. Abrams. Go away. Ah, so overrated. Now, Jeremy Boring, God King of the Daily Wire, my business partner, yeah, he's been maintaining for years. He said, I, re I remember, people can vouch for this. There was an argument we had where he made the, he made the claim that J.J. Abrams was a better director than Christopher Nolan. To which I say, fie! Fie on you, sir! Sheer nonsense. Okay, time to deconstruct the culture a little bit. So, today, I want to talk about Fashion Week. So, everyone gets very up for Fashion Week. Uh, my wife used to watch Project Runway, and they always talked about New York Fashion Week. Yeah, Fashion Week. It's the best. Fashion Week. Okay, Fashion Week is where a bunch of people come up with crappy outfits no one will ever wear in order to get shock value. So, the latest at New York Fashion Week is they have some idiot designer has decided that they have to do something sophisticated. So, what they really need to do, what's deeply important, is to do a line based on the work of Denis of Denise Diderot, the French philosopher, okay, the guy who died in 1784. How would they pay tribute to, I'm going to call him Denis because I'm American, but I guess it's pronounced Denis, Denis Diderot. Okay, their tribute to Denis Diderot was that they were going to create dresses covered in vaginas. Like, literally. Dresses covered in labia. This was their idea of fashion. Now, I have a question. Who is going to wear this? Is there anyone, who, like, who's going to buy, is it going to be like Lena Dunham? Lena Dunham's going to buy this and just horrify the rest of us by wearing around the giant vagina dress? I mean, I guess these things would be a bestseller at the Women's March. They're going to, like, if you can't tell where the, uh, where the labia are on this particular... Thing. Uh, it's uh, for some reason they're they're clinically on her arms, which is a weird place for, for those to be. Also, it's always weird to me how they paint the eyes. Uh, I'm not sure what happened. It looks like they ran face first into one of my daughter's finger paintings. Uh, here, the 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 fake vaginal opening is around her chestal region. Uh, it's it's what? So it used to be. I know that it used to be. Though when it came to fashion, we actually tr we actually respected designers who created things that people wanted to wear. Like look back at the original Dior. Okay, he was creating things that women actually looked good in. Is there any guy in the world who looks at this as a god? She is so hot. 
how do you make a beautiful model look like garbage? That's basically what New York Fashion Week is. They, they've decided that it's, it's this tendency in modern art that I really hate. Stephen Sondheim does it in theater, and I really like early Sondheim. They, there's this idea that the more abstruse you get, the less people can understand or understand what you're doing, the deeper you are. The more you're speaking to something that is just beyond what the normie can understand, the normal person can understand. It's so stupid. I have a general rule. I'm a relatively smart fellow. If I'm reading a book and 15 pages in, I have no idea what you're saying, I'm gonna bet you that it's probably because you're a crappy writer, not because I'm a moron. Okay, I figure that if I went to UCLA and Harvard Law School and graduated from high school at 16 and have an IQ above 150, I'm, I'm figuring that if that's the case, then if I'm reading your book and I don't understand it, there aren't that many people who can understand it. Okay, if I look at this fashion and I don't understand what in the world you're doing, I'm going to go with no one understands what in the world you're doing. And this is all just for shock value because, again, I don't know, like, it, it, file this one under how to make heterosexual men not attracted to depictions of, of pornographic images. I mean, just, just amazing. Um, please, people, there's nothing wrong with quote-unquote pandering to the common taste, particularly when there are such things as an objective standard of beauty. I understand art isn't really art. Art is just whatever you feel it is. Art isn't that, okay? There are objective standards of beauty. These don't mean it. It's garbage. Okay, let's go back to objective standards of beauty. Not everything is equally beautiful, and none of this meets the standard. Okay, we will be back here tomorrow, and uh, hopefully President Trump will have changed his mind on the wall. And we, I'm sure I'm, I'm going to try and go get a copy of Hillary's book today, and I'll analyze it for you tomorrow, hopefully. Uh, but we'll have much more in any case. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Did you know that a baby's heart begins to beat at just three weeks? At five weeks, it can be heard on ultrasound. In some cases, the heartbeat can be the baby's only defense in the womb, which is where preborn steps in. Preborn rescues 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing moms with free ultrasounds that allow her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just 28 bucks, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. If you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures of the lives you helped to rescue. All gifts are tax deductible. 100% of your gift donation goes toward saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Ben. That's preborn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Preborn.com slash Ben. It's the best thing you're going to do today or maybe ever. Dial pound 250, say keyword baby. Start saving children today.